So I was thinking about the message this morning, and it's going to be it's going to be tough against false teachers. And as I was worshiping with you all this morning, I was feeling in my heart why the Apostle Paul was so ferocious against false teachers. Because he loved Christ and the true gospel with everything that was in him. That's why. So let's turn to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at a couple of passages, passages this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let's read together verses 18 through 20. And we'll pray together. The Apostle Paul to his protege Timothy. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. Oh, we thank you. I thank you so much for these brothers and sisters, your children, that we could gather together corporately in worship. You deserve our worship. Jesus Christ, you deserve our worship. So help us now to worship you in spirit and in truth. Come, please, I beg of you, I plead with you, like the people that went to the disciples and they, they asked them, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. That's what I want. Master, I don't want them to see me. I want them to see you in me. So please, roll and reign, Holy Spirit, fill me. We want to sit at Jesus' feet. We want to marvel over Jesus. We want to love Jesus. We want the pure gospel. And I believe with all of my heart that we believe and embrace and love the true gospel. We're going to do what the Apostle Paul has charged Timothy to do. And so come help me now, Lord. Help me now as I unpack your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was reading a few commentaries, they brought up this idea of warfare. People fighting in a war. And I know some of you have fought in wars. I praise God for your service. Both my grandpas fought in World War II. I praise God for their service. My dad fought in Vietnam. I praise God for their service. But here's the point that the commentator was making. We didn't send our men and women over there without being prepared, ready to fight the good fight of faith. We needed to train them so that they were ready to wage the good warfare. As I was thinking about that and what this commentator said, I thought, you know what? I can see why Paul is speaking this way to Timothy because when I got into the ministry, I didn't realize the fights that I would have to face. I've only been in the ministry for 16 years. And already I've fought doctrinal wars. As soon as I entered the ministry in the seminary, I was fighting against things like the emergent church that was downplaying doctrine. I was fighting against people that were downplaying the doctrine of the Trinity. And so it was then that I realized, Oh, Jesus, help me to stay faithful. We're going to be fighting the good fight, gang, every day, 
Every day and every age in the church, the church has had to fight the good fight of faith. That's what this morning is all about with this call from the Apostle Paul charging Timothy to fight the good fight. Do not allow, this is what we're going to see, do not allow the false teachers in the church to harm the cause of Christ, the doctrine of Christ, the gospel of Christ, and harm the souls of the people of Christ. And I believe we have to do the same thing, brother pastors and elders. So we have to prepare ourselves for a spiritual war. And I'm not sure, I'll be, I'll be honest, I'm not sure we take this seriously enough. I know there are many that do, and I praise God for them. They're watchmen, and they're watching out for false teaching in the church. But we've got to be careful too, because we live in a day and an age that is tolerant of everything. And it creeps into the church, and it softens us. And I get it, we've got to love one another, we've got to fight over what we really need to fight over which I hope to unpack a little bit of that today. There's some fights we don't need to fight, but there's others that we do. Right? Right. So here we go. We're going to start with Paul's charge to Timothy in verse 18, where he says this charge, I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. Now the first thing that you've got to do when you're reading the Bible, you've got to figure out, okay, what is this charge, Paul? What is this charge that you want young Timothy to do in the church? And he's going to tell us. He's going to tell us in the last part of the verse. But you've got to remember the context where we've been so far. Paul has already given us a flavor of what he's thinking here when he uses this word charge. Remember? Verse 3. I urged you, Timothy... To remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. It's opposed to the gospel. That's opposed to the word of God. Don't let them do it. We know that they handled the law wrongly, right? From the middle part of chapter 1. Remember that? And so we're on to something here. We know what he's about. What this charge is all about. That's opposed to the Gospel. Remember his charge about the Gospel in verse 5. That issues from a pure heart, a good conscience. This is the aim of the true charge that we want you to maintain. The true Gospel. The true saving Gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ that's inward. That's saving. Right? That's what he's focusing on. Issues from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. And so we got Paul. He's charging. He's just charging. Timothy. All over the place in chapter 1. Because the gospel's at stake. Christ's holiness and reputation is at stake. The church is at stake. The people of God, their souls are at stake. So I love this charge. I love what somebody just said here. It's like a commanding officer giving Timothy a command that's not optional. He says, he could sing the old children's song from Sunday school, I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery, I may never fly over the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army, yes sir. But then he says, Timothy's just not a foot soldier now. He's a sergeant. He's got to go into war. He's got to fight the good war. And he's been entrusted with this very precious thing. Look at 
Look at that in the verse. You see that? This charge I entrust to you, Timothy. I entrust to you, Timothy. This charge to silence the false teachers. This charge to preach the gospel that leads to salvation and inner transformation that the law truly points to. We went over that. I'm entrusting this most valuable, precious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ into your care, young Timothy. It's the same word. This word entrust is interesting. It's the same word as depositing something very valuable in the bank. And so he's saying, this is a massively valuable treasure. Pure doctrine. The gospel of the Lord. The gospel that saves people. The gospel that sanctifies people. The gospel that satisfies people. This gospel I trust into your care, young Timothy. This gospel that was entrusted to my care. Remember when he said that back in verse 11? Paul feels this. I love the apostle Paul. He feels this gospel. It's most precious to him. And he wants Timothy to feel that too. He says later on, like I said, he's a bulldog about these charges. <laughs> later on, he says in chapter 6, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy. The good deposit, the pure doctrine, the gospel. Guard it twice more. In 2 Timothy, he says, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy. I'm thinking, Paul, are you serious about this? Yeah, you better believe he's serious about this. And then he says, entrust that to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also the true gospel. I don't know about you, but when I read the Bible, I love to meditate and sit under this. And man, when I'm meditating on this, I'm feeling the weight of this myself. As a pastor, elders, I'm feeling this from the Apostle Paul, speaking to me directly, the Lord, through him, speaking to me directly. I'm entrusting this to your care, Jason. That's massive, important, joyful as well, as long as I keep getting it right. Massively scary if I don't, and I want you all to hold me to the fire. I used to tell people at effort, if I ever start preaching anything that's other than in this book, you get rid of me. Get rid of me. We want the true gospel, the true doctrine, the Word of God. Amen is right. Oh, I would have needed to hear this from Paul too, I think. You're just feeling the weight of this thing. And Paul says, my child. Oh, man, he's on my side. I think I would have felt that this to me. He's on my side, my child. My child in the faith. You know this. He was probably saved under Paul's ministry, his first missionary journey. He was saved, grandma, mom, saved under the ministry of the Apostle Paul and mentored by the Apostle Paul. And this is, the Apostle Paul's trying to strengthen him. He's trying to boost him up. Yes, I'm Paul. And you're my child. I'm entrusting this to you, but I'm with you. I'm with you. That's what I feel from the Apostle Paul. I'm behind you. The church is behind you. I thought to myself, I grew up watching WWF, you know, Hulk Hogan, those kinds of things. I'm thinking... Man, if I had to face a bully at school, I'd be terrified. But not if I had him. This is what it's like for Timothy. I got him. He's behind me. False teachers, I'm coming. (laughs) We need people like that, don't we? But we got Christ. That's who we have. That's who we have. And then he reminds him about his call to the ministry. Look at what he says next. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy... My child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you. Prophecies previously made about you, Timothy. Now the question everybody asks is, what are these prophecies? 
prophecies that are made about Timothy. I'm thinking it is the gift of God on his life. The calling of God on his life to be a preacher and a teacher and a shepherd of the church that is also recognized by the elders, by the Apostle Paul. It's affirmed, it's recognized. Listen to chapter 4, verse 14. Paul writes, Do not neglect the gift you have. I'm thinking preaching, teaching, shepherding, call to ministry. Do not neglect Neglect the gift you have, Timothy, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So they laid their hands on him, affirming him. You remember back in Acts chapter 16, he was well thought of by the brothers. And Paul said, okay, I'll take him with me. I see the grace of God upon his life. I see the gift of God upon his life. And so the elders, they pray over him. They're prophesying. God has called you into the ministry. And I'm not going to get into prophecy. Some see prophecy in the New Testament as Old Testament like lust says the Lord. Old Testament prophets that kind of phased out when we got the closed scriptures. Others see 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. When you read that as God given some applicationary revelation from the Bible to apply to somebody and somebody weighs it out and says, mm, I don't know if that lines up with the Bible or not. Different views on prophecy. But here, I'm pretty sure this is the calling of God on young Timothy's life. And it's affirming for him. He needs strengthened to fight the good fight. And then something hit me. I thought, Jason, you probably should remember some of this too. Because before Christ saved you and called you to stand in this pulpit, you were deathly afraid to talk in front of three, four people. Absolutely hated it. I was terrified. Even college classes. Just a few people. This is all the Lord. This is all the Lord. And then other people seeing, recognizing, affirming. I don't know how many people it took to say, Jason, you need to go to seminary and start learning. He's calling you to the ministry. And then when you all installed me here, I thought, this is kind of the same thing. I remember Brother Allen, Dave Allen was up here and he was saying, you know what, we recognized the calling, we recognized the doctrine, we took you through all the examinations, we were, you've been faithful for the last 16 years, we are recognizing it, and then you, Brother Elders, beautifully and wonderfully prayed over me to be the pastor here. It's the idea. I need to remember this more often when I face stuff in the ministry. Hard stuff. When stuff might be coming around the corner, gang, there's always going to be stuff to fight. I need to remember you all. Fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. Earlier, well, let's talk about this first. He says in verse 9, Remember the prophecies made about you, Timothy that you may wage the good warfare. Maybe your translation says, fight the good fight. Either way, verse 9, here's what we're going to look at. Holding faith and a good conscience. A good conscience. So I'm going to try to split those two things up and talk about fighting the good fight first. 
And I think this is what he means because he uses this exact phrase in chapter 6 to fight the good fight. And so, what does this mean to fight the good fight? And hold faith. Hold faith. Or holding on to faith. You could translate that to say. Hold on to faith. Holding faith. Now, when I was reading the commentaries, most people went to the false teachers now. And I thought, right. Rightly so. But you know what I felt first as a pastor before I go to the false teachers? i got to hold on to the faith first. I do. I do. My own life. I can't give with you what I don't have. I can't go fighting what I don't have, right? So I'm desperately crying out to the Lord Jesus, help me, help me, Lord. Help any kind of unbelief, any lack of faith. Increase my faith. Remember the disciples asking Him that. Increase my faith, Lord. Help me to live on every word that comes from your mouth. Help me to live by faith, not by sight. I need this burning inside of me first before I go to any fight in here or out there, which I do believe Paul's referring to here. The fight over truth. The truth of God's Word. And I'm thinking it's probably all the essential things that we call the essentials of the Christian faith. The essentials of the Christian faith. And I don't want you to, I don't want you to hear me wrongly on this. I believe that every word in this book is God's Word. Every word. And every word is important. But not all of the doctrines are equally important for salvation. For salvation. Which is why Paul called the Gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 of first importance. First importance. So we have to understand what these important doctrines are that we have to fight over. Does that make sense? We have to fight over and drive these heretics out of the church. That's what Paul is all about here. Opposing these false teachers that promote speculations. You remember what he said before. Vain discussions that swerve. He said back in verse 6. Swerve from these. What are these? Sincere faith. Sincere faith and a good conscience. That's what he means. That's what he's saying here too. And then when he... He brings up these two guys later on. He says they made shipwreck of the faith. So we're talking about the essentials of the Christian faith, right? Timothy's got to fight for it. He's got to defend. So you know the essentials. You've been taught well here at this church. The essentials. Inerrancy of the Bible. Infallibility of the Bible. The Trinity. The doctrine of Christ. The full deity and the full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation by faith alone. In Christ alone. Not by works. The essentials, the essentials, the essentials. One commentator said this, and he's absolutely right. We're always going to have to fight for true doctrine. He said, starting in the garden when the devil twisted it up. He's right. And the children of Israel worshiping a golden calf and abandoning God's word. He's right. Most of the prophets of the Old Testament, he said, had to fight against false prophets in their day who saw false visions and gave lying divinations. Ezekiel 13. And then he went on to say, we don't just see this in the Old Testament, we see it all over the New Testament, right? When the Lord Jesus had to fight against the Pharisees. And the Apostle Paul had to fight against the Judaizers. And we got people like Simon the Sorcerer. Remember that guy? Acts chapter 8, I've got to verify this, but I was told that he went on and probably was the leader of the Gnostics. Remember who they were? Secret knowledge from God 
to me personally. They said all kinds of crazy, whacked out stuff. And then he went on to say this. The Council of Nicaea had to defend the doctrine of the Trinity in AD 325. I just want to give you the taste of the fight. We, we got to fight, guys. Council of Ephesus had to defend the doctrine of grace in AD 431. They had to fight the deity of Christ in AD 381 and 431 and 451. And then you all know about the Reformation. The 1500s and the 1600s when they rediscovered the Bible and the true gospel. But the Catholic faith wasn't preaching. Saved by works, indulgences. And then we come to early 1900s. I don't know if you know this name, J. Gresham Machen. He had to fight against liberalism. Billy Graham had to fight against some liberalism. John MacArthur is one who fights against this kind of stuff. Lordship salvation in the 80s. The point is, gang, we have to fight for the, fi for the faith. Postmodernism now tolerates everything, believes everything. Jesus isn't the exclusive way to God. You can believe that if you want to believe that, and that can be your truth, but I believe what I believe, and, and, and that's my truth. There's only one truth. It's either wrong or right. And He's the truth. I'm the truth. I'm the way. Not one. That's what Jesus said. One church historian reminded me. <laughs> he said, Jason, 99% of the heresies all throughout the ages started in the church. People in the church. That scared me a little bit. In the church. So here's what Phil Riken said. He's a pastor. He said, listen, the enemies of sound doctrine will not simply run away. They must be driven away. Driven away. So, maybe we should clear up. Maybe what's essential, what's not essential to fight over <laughs> in here. Because he went on to talk about bad fights. Sometimes Christians get into bad fights, right? When we fight over non-essential things, brothers and sisters. Paul, I mean, he, Paul told Timothy, just stay away from needless fights and myths. Squash them. But flee from them. That's what he said. Flee from people who devote themselves to this. Stop, stop them from teaching this stuff and flee. Get rid of it. Unhealthy cravings, he said in chapter 6, for controversy, quarrels about words which produce envy and dissension. Flee. Flee. I'd encourage us all. Flee from those things. And he goes on to say, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. That's what he's saying. Don't fight over things that don't matter. Right? Like the color of the carpet. I've had to go through that. Pews or chairs. I've had to go through that. I don't want to fight over that stuff. And you know, some, some are a little bit more tender than others, you know? Like worship, drums or no drums. Went through that. Listen, I love voices. I think that's biblical. I see it in the Bible. We see voices. People hearing each other singing to the Lord. I love it. I love it. Happens in here, but I don't see anywhere where there's no drums in the Bible. I see, I see all kinds of instruments in the Old Testament. Don't you? There's another one I've been through how many times. You probably have two. Contemporary or 
traditional hymns. I love them both. <laughs> Don't you love them both? As long as they are doctrinally sound, Christ magnifying. I love them both. Love them both. I got my preferences. You probably got your preferences, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to fight over that stuff unless it's bad doctrine. Let me, let me leave you with, for this section, something my professor once said. And I took this to heart. I'll never forget it. He said, Jason, whenever you fight, ask yourself this question. Are you fighting over God's law or your law? That one hit. Ask yourself that. Are you fighting over God's law or your law? So good. So good. Essentials of the faith. So how do you know? I like what one, one person said. How do you know what to fight over and what not to fight over? He said this. Ask yourself the following questions. Will this matter a year from now? If it doesn't, then it doesn't matter now. Am I enjoying this in a perverse kind of way? When I thought of that, I thought just to look good, look smart. Good questions. Ask yourself that. Whenever you're in the heat of whatever, if you're fighting, we're fighting in the church. Is it essential or not essential? Is it God's law or my law? I thought of the two ladies in chapter 4 in Philippians. You remember that? I don't know what they're fighting over. You ever feel it when you're reading the Bible? What were they fighting over, these two ladies? You remember reading that in chapter 4? Here's my water. What are they fighting over? Women's chair? The women's committee? I don't know. But Paul said, agree in the Lord, he said. Agree in the Lord, the essential things. The essential things. So Lord, help us. Fight the good fight. The essential things. And then he goes on to say, fight the good fight and a good conscience. So practice. That's what I'm seeing here. Belief and behavior. Doctrine, duty. Because they both go together. True beliefs fuel true behavior. Practicing what you preach. That's what he's saying to fight over. And here again, I'm asking myself these questions. You've got to check the preacher. Preach to yourself. One Puritan used to say before you preach to your people. Preach to yourself. So I'm asking myself, am I practicing what I'm preaching? Or am I being a hypocrite? Saying one thing and living another. Sound like good theology, but bad living? Two go together. That's what he's after here. Faith and a good conscience. And brothers and sisters, when you have good faith, when you have good beliefs, you have good behavior. You live out of your beliefs. Belief really, really, really matters. What you truly believe, deep down in your gut, not sometimes up here, but here. But here. The two go together. Belief and behavior. Behavior. John Calvin once said this, a bad conscience is the mother of all heresies. Because here's what happens. You've got a bad conscience. You justify. You justify things. You start justifying what the Bible teaches all over the place. And so your beliefs are getting all out of whack too. And, and being a pastor, and you probably, you've seen this with friends or family, 
You know how folks can justify when, when their conscience starts to get a little seared and, and turn away from true belief in what the Word says. Right? So I've heard, I've heard many bad justifications. We just didn't get along. So we're divorcing. It's okay. We just didn't get along. We were incompatible. And I say, I get that, man. We're different. But Jesus said, no. No. Unless there's adultery involved. That's what He said. Or I think about the time when I had to discipline a member of the church. I've had to do that on a number of occasions, but I thought this person was legit squared away. And they get involved with somebody from the same sex that was married to somebody else. It broke me to, to no end. I wept, I wept, I wept. For hours I wept. And they were justifying it, gang. They were justifying it. The husband shouldn't treat her that way. Okay, let's work on that. That doesn't give you an excuse to throw the book out the window. But then they started to take the book and say, neither male nor female. Out of Galatians. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not getting rid of distinctions there. This is salvation in Christ. It's equal for men and women. Do you see how bad beliefs lead to bad behavior and a seared conscience? Timothy, fight for it. Fight for both. Fight for both faith and a good conscience. Sometimes it's not easy to spot right away, right? I think of false teachers now. I'm, I'm thinking one particular individual. Has anybody ever heard of Rob Bell? I'm calling him out because Paul calls people out here. And I do believe he's a heretic. I don't know if you've ever heard of Rob Bell. I didn't really follow him, but in my early years, Rob Bell came out with a Numa series that a lot of youth folks were, were using. And I watched a couple, and they were nebulous. They were fun. But then somebody handed me a book called Velvet Elvis. Yeah. Anyway, I'm reading this book. because People are handing this out in the church. I'm reading this book, and he's downplaying doctrine. He's saying you don't have to believe in the incarnation still be a Christian. Now, he's not talking about people that wrestle with doubts. He's just throwing doctrine right out the window. It doesn't matter what you believe. You can still believe and be a Christian if you don't believe in the incarnation or the Trinity. And so I sniffed him out right away. I said, burn those. And now... Here, he writes a book called Love Wins. Have you heard of it? Everybody goes to heaven because God's love wins everybody. Whether in life or death, God's love is going to eventually win everybody. So who are you to say that the Buddhist is going to hell? These are the things that he started to say. And now he's okay with all kinds of sexuality. We've got to be on guard, brothers and sisters. Got to be on guard. Got to be on guard. Folks that shipwreck the faith teach different things. This is where these two guys go. They're shipwrecking faith. Look at the last half of verse 19. He says, by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Now that's actually, there's not there. You could translate that as the faith. The faith. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Now here's my question. What... What did they do? What happened that they made shipwreck of their faith? What happened here? Because I don't know about you, I don't want to shipwreck my faith. Do you? No, I don't think you do. I don't want to shipwreck my faith. So what happened? The Apostle Paul tells us here that they rejected this. Do you see that? By rejecting this, they made shipwreck 
of their faith. So what did they reject? When you read the Bible, ask yourself questions. What does the word this refer to? And you just read it. We just read it. We just went over it. Faith and a good conscience. That's what they rejected. So they're rejecting the true faith. The essentials of the Christian faith. They're rejecting the Bible. They're rejecting the Gospel. They're rejecting the deity of the Lord Jesus. They're, they're rejecting the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. It made me think, here's what it made me think of. You guys all know I'm kind of still stuck on a book of Hebrews. But it made me think of the Hebrews that were a part of the church that left. Why did they leave? Because they were being persecuted by the Jews. And the Jews were saying that Jesus is a sham. He's not the Messiah. And they left. A lot of them left. A lot of them stayed. Praise God. That's the whole purpose of the book. That's why he's writing. He's defending the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ right out of the gate in chapter 1. He's defending his Messiahship. His atonement. He's better. He's greater than the angels. Remember this? I love this, man. I would have blown any Jew out of the water. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than all the high priests, earthly high priests combined. He's greater, greater, greater. Jesus is. And yet they throw it all away. Chapter 6 is a scary chapter. When he writes, it's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the Word of God, the powers of the age to come, and that have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. In other words, they were in the church. They looked like believers for a little bit. This is why Jesus gave the parable of the four soils in the first three. They might come for a little bit, but there's no root in them. There's no saving faith in them. And for these people, they left. When the persecution started to get hot and heavy from the Jews, they said, I want comfort. I want the synagogue again. Jesus is a sham. And I would be with them saying, crucify him all over again. That's what that text means. So these are the kind of people that it just deliberately reject. That's what that word means. Just deliberately reject the gospel and Jesus Christ. Next chapter, Paul says that they were teaching bad things. They swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection already happened. Remember reading that? Saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they're upsetting the faith of some. They're deliberately teaching wrong things. Deliberately gay. We have to... I know this is hard, maybe sometimes for us to swallow. There are people in our world, every age, that come into the church that want to deliberately, deliberately teach the wrong thing. The wrong thing. Now the question a lot of people always ask, well, were they saved? Or did they lose their salvation? Or were they not saved in the first place? I think Hebrews 6, you got a flavor. you got a flavor of what I think. I do not believe that a truly born-again Christian will ever lose their salvation. Because we have a great Christ who says, no one can snatch you out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hand. Paul said, he who began a good work in you will complete it. Jesus saves, he saves. He does it. Praise Him. But He has warned us, there will be people who look like believers. 
Usually, in the time being, for a short while, but time will tell. And they'll leave. And if they're true believers, I do believe that the Spirit's going to nag them to death and they're going to come back around. I've seen that happen. But there's others who haven't darkened the door of a church, have no desire for God at all, and they've thrown it all away. And so I don't think these guys are believers. This is what John said in his little epistle. They went out. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they're all, they're all not of us. They're not of us. So these guys are not truly saved in my opinion. But here's, here's something really, really interesting. Paul seems to still have hope for them. And he puts them out of the church hoping that they're going to repent and come to the faith. Look at what he did in verse 20. I've handed these men over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Now I mentioned church discipline because this is the exact same phrase that he uses for church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5 for the immoral man. Handing him over to Satan for a reason, for a purpose. If you remember the Lord Jesus, He taught church discipline in Matthew 18. If a brother or sister sins against you, go. One of you. Share with him his fault. If you win him over, you gained your brother. Praise God. He's repented. He said, I'm sorry. Forgive me, please. Great, you won him over. If not, take one or two with you. Do you remember reading this in Matthew 18? Take another with you. Confront your brother or sister. If you won him over, you gained your brother and sister over. If they repent and they're restored to God and one another. Great. Then he says, if they don't listen to that, tell the church. Tell the church. This is hard stuff. But there's a reason. He says, tell the church that so the church goes out there and tries to win this brother or sister back because they love that brother or sister and they want that brother and sister to be restored to God and one another. That's love. That's love. But then Jesus says, if they don't listen to the church, treat them like a pagan tax collector. That's excommunication outside the church, out there in the realm where Satan is. That's the idea here. I handed those men over to Satan. To Satan. Hopefully, hopefully, they're going to feel that, not want it, hate it, repent, and return. That's the hope of the Apostle Paul. This is redemptive, brothers and sisters. This is redemptive. I want you to understand that any kind of church discipline is meant to be redemptive. Restoration. We want that brother or sister to be right with God. And right with their brothers and sisters in the church. That's why we go. That's why we go. That's why we go. It's loving to do church discipline. It's loving to do it. Not to blaspheme. Remember what Paul said he was prior? Blasphemer. I think he feels this. I said Christ was a sham. He wants those guys to come to the true saving faith of the real Jesus. Like he did. That's what he wants. That's what he wants. So as we wrap up here, I thought, oh, help us, Lord. Help us while we're here to be faithful, to stand for the truth of the gospel and pure doctrine and the preaching of the Word of God that saves and sanctifies and satisfies and makes much of the Lord Jesus Christ. And watch out for anybody who messes with the gospel. The main things, the main things. And may Jesus find us faithful all the way to the end like Paul was. This is our goal, everybody. Paul on his deathbed. When I thought about fighting the good fight, this is where my mind went naturally. 
Second Timothy chapter 4. I have fought the good fight. I want to be laying on my deathbed and say that. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love His appearing. That's all of us. So Lord, help us to be faithful. Amen? Stand for truth. So right now, I want to take just a few minutes, pray for two things. For the Lord to help this church, help us, pastors, elders, all of us, to be faithful. And then secondly, if you know somebody like this, a wanderer, I want you to pray for them. I want you to pray for them. So take a minute or two, and let's pray together silently. Master, all of these hundreds of prayers we lift up before your throne. And we say, please accomplish it for the glory of your name and for the good of those folks and ours. And all God's people said, Amen.